Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Previously on the storyteller Naked Villainy, Kit Harrison buys the new watch in Edinburgh hours after Brenda was killed. He paid for it and filled in the guarantee there and then. An unexpected visitor turned up at Brenda's flat when she was out of town. And there was a caller at the door which surprised me. On opening the door, it was Kit Harrison. And Kit's bizarre response when police told him Brenda had died. It was very unemotional and offhand. He didn't ask how she died where she had died. It's taken 45 years to bring a killer to court. And for the first time in UK history, you'll hear the full murder trial and witness justice being done. It was a brutal murder of a brilliant woman who was a rising star in genetic research. It would now be almost like a script from Morse. The investigators swarming over the, the dreaming spires of university land. There was kind of palpable feeling of evil in the air. I was told it was just a massive blood in here. Two decades on from confronting evil. So did you kill your ex-wife Brenda Page? Evil is being confronted by the law. Did you kill her? No. She knew it was coming. He said he was going to kill her. If he killed her, he would do it so that nobody would know. Will his true nature be unmasked? Are you familiar with the tale of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? And can Brenda's own words help secure her killer's fate? A letter of a death foretold. This is the storyteller, Naked Villainy, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. Day five of the trial, and with a picture firmly painted of a woman in fear for her life, it was time to hear some evidence from the night of her murder. 65-year-old Raymond Chan was a student at the time, and he had a part-time job in a restaurant. And on the night of July 13th, he and a friend Patrick went to visit their friend William, who lived in a flat upstairs in Brenda's building. He thinks he finished about 11pm. They put a photograph of the hallway of 13 Allen Street on the screens. Just to explain, the front door of the building would have been open so all residents could gain access and visitors could enter. Then each flat would have a lock, but there was no intercom or buzzer on the main door like you would expect nowadays. Do you recognise that as the common lobby? That's the close, yes. Right, or the close. Yes. Did William live upstairs? He does. He did. So if we think then that you left your work at 11 o'clock and drove <coughs> to Allen Street, what time do you think it would be roughly when you arrived? I would say around about 10 past or quarter past 11 o'clock at night. Right. As you entered 
the common close. Did you notice anything? I think a big difference because I visit William quite often at night after work. And that particular night, the, the close was lit up. Yes. Uh, I find it unusual because it used to be pitch black. I have to count my steps towards William's flat, but I didn't have to do that that night. Right. That sticked into my head. And also I find the window above the door, you can see the flat is also lit up as well. And when you say that, do you, which flat do you mean? The, the, the flat that uh, Brenda Page was found. Right, okay. The, the, the front door is just to the left of the bottle of milk we can see in the photograph, is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And do you say that there was a light on in the flat? Yes. Uh, that's the first time I ever found that flat was lit up at that p at time of night. Right. Yeah. Okay. Did you think anything of it at the time, or did you just notice it? Uh, it I thought the person inside probably having a later night, and that's what I thought. Okay. Did you go upstairs to visit? I you? went. I went upstairs straight to. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't linger. How long did you spend in William's flat? I would say around about ten minutes to fifteen minutes. Right. I just collecting some notes. Did you hear anything? When I was leaving, uh, I could hear some activity going on in the flat. What sort of activity? Probably people walking about in the flat or, you know, it doesn't shock me. I didn't think anything of it. What could you describe what you heard? I would say something, people putting something down on a table or could be something, somebody put something down on the floor, things like that. Um, I, I could hear it when I was leaving. Yeah. Are you sure you only spent about 10 minutes in William's flat? I would I will, I will say around about 10 to 15 minutes, yes, that night, yeah. I go to William quite, quite often at night that time. Um, sometimes I stay for two hours. Yeah. It could be one hour, you know. Right. Um, but that particular night, I think I'll, I'll spend about 10 minutes, yes. Could it have been about two hours on this night? Um, I don't think so, because Friday is a busy day in the restaurant, so I wouldn't spend too, 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 too much time in that. Do you remember being asked about this by the police in 2020, some three years ago? Yes. Yeah. The police came to my office. Yeah. Were you able to give an estimate of the time you spent in the flat on that occasion? Yes. I, I thought at that time, I, I recall, I thought I, I probably spent about two hours in that flat, but thinking back, I yep. don't think that was uh, correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, now I appreciate it's a very long time ago. Yes. But are you telling us that there were occasions when you would spend about two hours in William's yes. flat? Yes, I, I did. Yeah. And on this particular occasion, you 
your preference is that it was about 10, 15 minutes. Is yes, that correct? That's correct. But could it be that, that you were there for two hours? Um, no, I don't think so. Because, uh, like I said, I need to go, need to get some rest that night yep. for a busy day the next day. Okay. Did you hear anything else? No. Did you ever hear a scream? Um, I cannot tell you whether it would be a scream or... It's such a long time ago, but there was definitely activity going on in the flat at that time of the night. I wonder if you could look, please, at a document which is a statement of the 14th of July, 1978. Time, date and place taken as 10pm, 14th July 1978, work. And appears to be a DC Cameron. Do, do you recall giving this statement? I did. Yeah. And at the bottom, is that your signature? That's my signature, yes. It's a, a very short statement. If I just read this and you follow, if you, you can. I don't know the deceased... I am employed as a waiter with Dickens Restaurant, 347 Union Street, Aberdeen. Is that what it says? Yes. And did you tell that to the police? Yes. And was that true? True. Does it go on? At midnight on Thursday, 13th July, 1978, I left my place of employment along with Patrick Lowe, and went to visit William at 13 Allen Street. Did you say that to the police? Yes. And would that be true at the time? It's so long ago now. Of so course. It's at midnight, yeah. No one is criticising you. Okay. But would your memory be better then than it is now, all these years later? Um... Probably poaching a, poaching, a, poaching midnight, yes. Yeah, okay. So, <clears throat> arriving at the flat, I saw the stair light above deceased's door was on, which is not normal. Is that what it says? And did you say that to the police? Yes, I did. Was that true? True. Does it go on? I stayed at the flat for about 10 minutes and collected some students' notes, then left. Is that what it says? Yes. Did you say that to the police? Yes. And is that true? True. On leaving the flat, I heard a noise like someone screaming and a door <coughs> banging. Does it say that in the statement? I probably did, yes. And is that true? I would say so, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I cannot say where these noises came from. I left the area. Is that what it says? Yes. And you've signed that? Yeah. Okay. D does that jog your memory at all now or, or not? Yes, I did. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Is that what happened? If I gave the, the statement at that time, it must be true. Yeah. yeah. And, well, we can see, or you can see that it has been signed. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. 
And there would be no reason to mislead the police, would there? No. 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 All right. Thank you very much. Uh, as you've indicated, Mr Chan, it was a very long time ago. Yes. But what the learned advocate deputy, the gentleman who's just sat down, has established is that you gave a statement to the police the next day. That's right. Lunchtime. It, it tells us it was at 10 o'clock and they came to your work. Uh, the, the statement tells us that. If the very top wrong about the, that time, yes. The, it, very it, top, it, the very top of the statement, if you've still got it, says 10 p.m., 14.778, work. Yes. <coughs> so it seems like they came to your, your work address in order to take the statement from That's you. That's right, yeah. And that would have been less than 24 hours after the incident had happened. Yes. And logic would tell us your memory would be a lot better on the 14th of July 1978 than Definitely. it is on the 27th of February 2023. Yes. And therefore, what we know you told the police is that you were at 13 Allen Street shortly after midnight? After work, yes. You, you've said to the police it was midnight you left your place of employment and you went to 13 Allen Street. Yes. And I think you told the ladies and gentlemen that it would have taken you about 10 minutes to get there. To, to drive over there. So, yeah. so roughly, roughly, we're talking about 10 past, quarter past 12, something like that. Correct. You're there for about 10 minutes and then you leave. Yes. Because that's what you told the police on the 14th of July. Yes. So whatever you might have thought the position was in 2020, the day after the incident happened, you were aware of the fact you were only there for 10 minutes. Yes. So we're talking about you leaving the flat around about 12.30, something like that? Allowing for a little bit of slippage here and there? I would about, yeah, quarter past 12. Or yes. uh, and you hear... A noise which is like someone screaming and a door banging, but you don't know where those noises came from. I don't. No. Thank you very much. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Once again, memory versus a statement from the time comes into play. You'll have noticed the Crown and the defence at times leaning towards one or other, depending on which narrative suits them. It's hard to argue with a statement taken within hours of the event. The next witness was Eric Jensen, who trained and served as a police officer before going to university to become a forensic scientist. 
Now aged 77, he was with the police for 31 years, 19 of those as a scientist. His evidence is very important, and it begins with almost a history lesson in the beginnings of forensic science in the 1970s. It might be self-evident these days, but could you outline for us the scope and nature of the work of a forensic scientist? Forensic science for forensic scientists would normally either be a biologist or a chemist. Um, <clears throat> at the stage that I was transferred into the laboratory, we had one civilian biologist and one civilian chemist. The biologist would have dealt with um, blood material, um, other body fluids, hairs, fibers, anything biological. The chemist, on the other hand, dealt with everything else. Paint, glass, fibres, marks, um, firearms, drugs analysis, and a whole lot of other things. And did you have experience in those things over the years? Well, <clears throat> the interesting thing was, um, when I was transferred to the laboratory, it was a three-man outfit. There was a biologist, a civilian biologist, a civilian chemist, and one detective sergeant who had either a higher national or ordinary national certificate in chemistry. And along came Eric Jensen with a first-class honours in biology, and somebody somewhere decided that I was to replace that policeman. So when I then join the lab, I'm in perhaps the slightly invidious position of having to corroborate in those early stages either biology or chemistry. The only subject that I didn't have to corroborate was anything to do with fibres, whereby the chemist and the biologist, they did that between them. Yes. Have you heard of the phrase, every contact leaves a trace? Locard's principle. Locard's principle. Tell the <coughs> members of the jury what that is, please. When two things come in contact, the principle says that there will be a transfer from one to the other in both directions. Basically, that's a theory. Okay. Are you also familiar with the concept of cross-contamination? Very familiar. Please explain that for the members of the jury. Well, if I could give an example, perhaps Please. that would help. I go to the scene of a crime where there is a victim, perhaps a murder. Perhaps the same day, I have to go to the household of the suspect. And what I have to be extremely careful is that I do not carry any evidence from the victim's household to the household of the suspect and in the opposite direction, the same thing. So we have to guard against the possibility of cross-contamination. And how do you do that? Um, in the case today, I, the circumstance I have outlined actually happened. And I wore different material. 
I wore different boots and different clothing from the two separate uh, localities. Uh, would you guard against that possibility, that is, cross-contamination throughout the journey of articles being, being considered? No. The same philosophy would apply in the laboratory. In those early stages of a three-man outfit, we had one search room at, at the police headquarters building. One search room, one search bench. On that search bench, at one stage, we would be looking at the victim's clothing. At some subsequent stage, we'd be looking at the suspect's clothing. And one would have to be extremely careful that there could be no cross-contamination, which involved then we had to clean and deal with every aspect to avoid cross-contamination that was possible. Are you also familiar with the notion of preserving the locus, the crime scene? Yes, but if I attended a crime scene and I, I then left, it would be somebody else's responsibility to preserve it. Yes, but you're familiar with the need to do that. Yes, of yeah. course. Okay. When you attended a crime scene, uh, would you take samples of various things depending on the circumstances of the case? Definitely. Yeah. And how would you do that? It would depend on what it was, of course, but what tools or devices would you use to do that? It would depend on the actual nature of the evidence, but it could range from tiny forceps to pick up something like a single, a single fiber. Although there are techniques for recovering fibers that avoid the use of forceps altogether. Um, just a whole range of techniques, including uh, possibly what was one of my favorites vacuum extract technique. Right. Now, explain that for us, please. Well, basically, you've got a vacuum cleaner. The difference being that at the nozzle end, where you can replace a brush with a, 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 a nozzle, we had a, in fact, we had two of them. Um, you have a little chamber. The chamber uh, we could see through it. Um, there was a top half and a bottom half. You slid it round slightly to release it. You put a filter paper in onto a metal gray, uh, grid. You put the lid back on, closed it, fitted it onto the end of the vacuum cleaner outfit, and you simply vacuumed up the evidence that you wanted to retrieve. Then Having stopped that, you would take out that filter paper very carefully and put it into a bag. Usually, it would be a, a polythene bag that you could then seal and in some way label before leaving the crime scene. If the 
Hoover device were to be used subsequently, what steps would you take to avoid <coughs> cross-contamination? The working end of it, namely the apparatus I have mentioned, had to be thoroughly cleaned. But as I mentioned right at the start, we had two. So if there was a need to do two in quick succession, two scenes, for example, or two lo locations where you wanted to suck up potential evidence, um, you wouldn't have to go and find a, a sink, hot water, soap, and all the rest of it to, to clean the first set of apparatus. We had a second one in reserve, all part of a giant murder kit. Thank you. And would you agree that the understanding and processes of crime scene investigation have evolved over the years since 1978? Very much so. Yeah. Including new techniques in science and biology, is that correct? Mostly DNA profiling, of course. Yes. And that was not something available in 1978, is that right? I was reading last night in a book that told me that it was 1988 before the f a first case in the UK had DNA profiling yeah. as the main evidence. Nevertheless, in 1978, are you telling us that you were very aware of the dangers of cross-contamination? Oh, yes. And that you took steps to avoid that occurring? Absolutely. When you attended crime scenes in 1978, what clothing would you wear? In the laboratory, I would wear a white coat. And I remember going to the 13 Allen Street with a white coat. I may not have been sitting in a vehicle wearing the white coat, but I had a clean white coat with me. Right. And I would have had gloves as appropriate, whatever needed to be handled that might have been dirty. He's asked to describe what's shown in the photo of this section of the window. Yes, the upper section of the window is being examined from below and there appear to be labels where there are instrument marks which resulted from the window having been forced open. Could you look, please, at Crown Production 74? That's the window section. The actual section of the window in a plastic evidence bag was then produced. It was strange to see, considering it's been in the police's evidence vaults for 45 years. I do remember it. Now, could you, I hope it's not too heavy, but could you hold it up just so that members of the jury can see it? It's... Now, going back to photograph four, which we still have on the screen, you described that the numeric labels which are placed on it are, all indicate what? Instrument marks. From your experience, what would cause these marks? These marks were caused by a lever of some sort with a chisel tip. 
five-eighths of an inch in width. Now, do they, the marks on the top and the bottom in the photograph, would, do they, would they correspond? In other words, if the window were shut, <coughs> would, these be would these indicate where the instrument had been inserted and sought to prise open the window? Definitely. Right. Okay. So there are at least then 15 marks indicating an attempt to prise open the window, is that correct? Yes, as you say, there are 16 yeah. markings, but yeah. I counted 30. Uh, I believe in my statement I yeah. said 40 odd years ago yes. there were 30 yes. marks. But the 16 are probably the most distinctive. Yes. Would that be consistent then with a person inserting an instrument of some kind, as you described, and trying to prise open the window going along as they did so to different parts of the window. Yes, very methodical. Yes. Bit by bit. Would that make a noise? If it was done slowly and carefully, the risk of a loud noise would be reduced. Would it take a little time to do so? Oh, yes. From your experience as a serving police officer and also as a forensic scientist attending scenes of crime, have you encountered housebreakings? Mr Jensen explained he tended not to get called to housebreakings unless there was a more serious crime that had occurred in the property. And although this was not his professional speciality, he'd always taken a keen interest in DIY and won a prize at school for technical subjects, so had above-average knowledge on mechanics and tools. And applying that knowledge, what would you say about this? It was done very slowly, deliberately and successfully. If a housebreaker or burglar wanted to get into a property and steal something, would this be an effective way of doing it? Yes. Would it be a quick way of doing it? Not necessarily. Could you? One, one would tend to do this in darkness if it was going to take any length of time. Approaching it in the manner which occurred here, would there be a risk of alerting anyone in the flat to what was taking place? Definitely. Plainly, if nobody was in the flat, that's not an issue. That is true. Could you look please at photograph number five? It shows the window stay which has been forced apart from the up, up, upper section of the window. Uh, you can see where the two screws would have uh, joined the, the, the upper section of the window. The two screws uh, apparently still in the, in the stay there. Do you consider that this could be explained by 
the actions, the results of which we saw in photograph four, the instrument marks. No question of it. I'm going to end here as Mr Jensen's evidence once inside the murder scene and then later at Kit Harrison's home is extensive, including a speck of blood which could have changed everything if handled differently. In the next episode of the storyteller Naked Villainy, a forensic scientist describes the shocking sight of Brenda's body. Long hair was down over her face, shoulders, absolutely matted with blood. The possibility the killer lay in wait concealed in a wardrobe. Someone could hide in that wardrobe. And a mistake in testing that could have solved the case. We've tested it for human and it's positive. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review as it makes a huge difference to guiding people to hearing this important story. This is an entirely independent production and your support is greatly appreciated. And if you want to hear exclusive interviews, longer episodes and insights, please head to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. This is a piece of history and you are for the first time in this format witnessing justice being done. <laughs>